listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room, your home for all things Houston Hoops. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Duckett, site co-expert at Space City Scoop. And you can find me on Twitter at A underscore Duckett. That's D-U-C-K-E-T-T. And I'm your second host, Britt. And you can find me on Twitter at Britt Roatista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at Clutch City CR, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. All right, so on this episode, uh, this segment of this podcast, we'll first start out with uh, our takeaways from the game five on Saturday night, um, how the Rockets looked, any, anything that we thought that was, that was memorable. Um, one of the first things that, I, that stood out to me is the fact that James Harden has finally figured out how to win over, well, not win over, but win the matchup against Lou Dort. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I feel like for when um, Lou Dort returned from the from his injury after game one, it felt like Harden was very much um, had a sustained period of not being sure how to handle um, Dort. And I think that was a mixture of Dort's maturity when it came to the defensive end, especially as I believe he's a rookie, um, unless I'm wrong but yes definitely as a rookie being able to get around those um get around the picks without um fouling um or touching Harden in a way where he would um be called for a foul um his ability just to um man up to Harden um I think a lot of people have mentioned that Dort reminds them a lot of Andre Roberson when he was um one first of all healthy and second of all playing right. really um good defense so having Dort there and he uh, I feel like Dort also has that same body type that Harden has so for a while Harden had to figure out how to negotiate around Dort while being able to still be successful and I think in games three not so much in game four but definitely in game three that's where it hindered him a lot but the last I would say game and a half um, halfway through game four and definitely through game five uh, Harden's been able to utilize um, one better picks that his team teammates have been setting to get Dort off of him um, to, or at least long enough so that he can get a shot off or get a, a, a assist to someone else or a pass to someone else and then also just uh, I guess understanding better how Dort has been utilizing his strength against Harden and using that to uh, against him in order to actually cause him to cause or uh, to have fouls. Um, what do you think, Anthony? 
Yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, it was only going to be a matter of time, um, you know, that Harden figured out, you know, what was working for Dort uh, and what wasn't working for him. And like you said, I mean, you know, Dort being a rookie, I mean, he's held his own in this series, of course. Uh, we're not necessarily used to seeing <laughs> Harden, I guess we would say, we would say struggle uh, in this series the way he has, at least, against any really any other defender. But, I mean, sure enough, it's only a matter of time. James Harden is unguardable. So he's going to figure out what worked. Uh, what works at least one thing that stood out to me is that this is the first game where in this series where James Harden did not have double digit three-point attempts so he the first four games he had 13 11 13 and 15 and in this game he only shot eight threes so Mm -hmm. it was a lot more driving he was taking a lot more high percentage uh, plays Um, he went 11 of 15 for the game four of eight from three so you know, that, that, that to me means that he had a lot more drives. He was mixing it up with a lot more variety. Now, it's interesting that he only has six free throw attempts, but especially considering how they've been tightly calling everything in the bubble, it feels like. But uh, what I liked, again, is that, you know, Harden had a lot more high percentage uh, plays. Um, he only had 15 shot attempts. Typically, you know, we see that number a lot higher for James. But, I mean, he shot 73% from the floor and 50% from three. So it's safe to say that whatever it was that that Dort had, you know, that was working for him, Harden has definitely figured it out, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And I think when it comes to the one other thing that I noticed about Dort is that as a team, the Rockets have been – isolating him so that he has to shoot threes, or at least he feels like he has to shoot threes um, since they – essentially have sort of taken the uh, aspect or taken the point of view that door is unable to hit his threes at this point. So I think that sort of caused Dort some um, concerns on his end. And that may be why a reason why he has struggled in this sort of aspect, because he's not being able to hit consistently. Although I know in game four, he was able to hit, what was it? Three threes. But then last game, I don't even think he um, made one or maybe he did make one point. Um, Actually, no, he was 0-9 from the three-point land. So (laughs) I I think for a young player to have that offensive struggle, um, even for one who's very much – above the curve when it comes to his defensive ability, that would definitely cause them um, issues down the road. That's a great point that I didn't even really, that at least that I don't think has been discussed enough is that, you know, the Rockets have definitely taken the approach of, you know, we'll let Dort beat us. If he just, if he makes a threes and that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll live with that uh, because he's not, a, not a, even an average three point shooter. So a lot of that means that, you know, we, 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 I think in game five, we saw Billy Donovan pull him earlier than we normally would because, you know, if, if his offense – I mean, you're trading defense for offense. You know, if his shots aren't falling, that means he's going to get pulled sooner than they would have liked. And you're putting in Schroeder, who is obviously not nearly the defender that Dort is. So that played a lot – they had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Dort wasn't hitting his shots. He ended up getting, you know, yanked a little bit earlier than normal. And, I mean – Anyone on that team, really, other than Dort, is, is like they say, a barbecue chicken for James Harden. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, um, one more thing about Dort as well is that, um, like you mentioned that um, Schroeder, and you know, we'll get into later on why he wasn't able to complete the game, but Schroeder in de- general is just a spark plug on the offensive end, but his defense is just putrid, um, yeah. where Dort is the exact opposite. And until, um, I mean, it probably won't be this season unless they get, ex- you know, extremely lucky, but until they yeah. can sort of balance that out, the um, Thunder are going to have to make a decision on whether or not they're able to keep Dort on the floor or keep Schroeder on the floor. Um, and I think the other reason why they weren't able to keep Dort on the floor in this instance is because um, he was just – he wasn't able to contain Harden like he was able to. So in previous games, even when he was having bad shooting nights, he was able to stay on the floor because he was able to contain Harden. But if he's not able to contain Harden and it's not able to shoot, then he's not going to get – the you know, the amount of minutes that he usually gets. Right, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's like you said. I mean, you're trading, you're trading defense for offense. They don't have any other options. You know, it, it's like, yeah, it's great if, you know, if, if they're tightening up on Harden, but the Rockets can still score. I mean, the Rockets have shown that they can still score points, even if Harden is two for nine from three or whatever, which obviously wasn't the case on Saturday. But just saying. So, in that case, you know, the Thunder, obviously, with Dort out there, he's a liability on offense. So even if they, even if he's tightening up on Harden, the fact is that this is a Thunder team that struggles to score. So, I mean, if they don't have, you know, if they don't have uh, another shooter or scorer out there, then of course they're going to have to pull door, which plays into the Rockets advantage, right? Yep, for sure. Now, another thing that I wanted to uh, hit on, um, we were discussing Schroeder. What about his, uh, the, uh, the mid shot, the mid section shot that, that uh, that seems to me to have been very intentional. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I was um, pretty livid. Well, maybe not that much. I I feel like the entire series has been a number. There's been a number of times where there have been dirty plays by the Thunder. Um, I think more recently, besides Game Five, Game Four, with um, the you know, sort of similar low shot with Chris Paul and then, you know, game five with that low or low blow. Um, I mean, I I guess, you know, just to recap, if people are listening to this later on and haven't looked at it, you know, Twitter or wherever they get their news is that um, ultimately Schroeder and PJ Tucker got just got fined and when it comes to that I'm ultimately okay with it um I feel like I want to have as little number of excuses as possible on the OKC side (laughs) when it um when hopefully Houston closes them out in the next you know day or two um so yeah for game six and hopefully not you know having to extend further than that so I I would rather have Schroeder there um but ultimately that was not a play that I wanted to see like we shouldn't have to see someone you know using their arm in a method where you know they're um hitting someone you know below the belt like that that's not cool yeah I mean 100 percent. and you know this is something that with OKC considering they have Chris Paul you know you would figure that that you're going to get some um some uh, some of those you know unnecessary you know, plays. And, you know, this series has had quite a bit of him. Chris Paul is going to always do that. It's just how he is and how he plays. But he's gotten away with a lot in this series, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, the game four, you know, growing shot to, to McLemore was was unnecessary. 
this game five one was interesting. I mean, the suspension – or not suspension, but the penalty for both was – it's fair. You know, whatever it was that was ruled out, you know, we wanted to – of course, you wanted to have seen it to be equal on both sides because P.J. Tucker doesn't do that. First of all, he doesn't ever act like that. He doesn't ever, you know, lose his cool like that. Except maybe when he gets, uh, you know, fouls, he gets mad at himself sometimes. You know, he might kick a chair or two on the sidelines. But but he, he never he never acts like that or does anything like that. So it's very clear and obvious that that was, that, that was prompted by, you know, Schroeder's, you know, action. And the thing about Schroeder is that he's got a history of doing this. He did that in 2013, I saw, against uh, Boogie Cousins. And he got, actually got suspended a game for that. And what I think is interesting is that I saw people saying on Twitter, oh, well, he's just fighting through a screen. Oh, he's not – it wasn't intentional. It's like you don't hit another person in the family jewels on accident. <laughs> no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the other thing to sort of keep in mind too is that, like, usually when it comes to those sort of, you know, picks or at least trying – uh, one of the things that Billy Dahl and Donovan was trying to indicate was that um, Tucker was trying to do an illegal screen um, yeah. off of Schroeder, which didn't make a sense um, entirely. Like I've seen a much more extreme illegal screens, which this yeah. was definitely not. Um, but the thing is, what with usually when you're trying to get away from picks, you don't need to put your arm in a way where you're landing it, or you could potentially land it underneath, you know, someone's, um, yeah. you know, legs. Right, so right. it it didn't make sense from the get go. Um, I think ultimately if this wasn't a potential elimination game for the thunder that schroeder may have gotten suspended and maybe even tucker as well but i feel like the last few seasons unless it's like completely egregious the nba nba has been trying to avoid suspending people for pivotal games within series um unless they can't you know can't avoid it i think the last time they've really done that was with draymond green and we knew we all know what happened there right right and then, I mean, they also – they determined that, you know, P.J. Tucker's, you know, headbutt was different than Giannis – the one that Giannis did in the bubble. You know, uh, they, they basically said that, you know, what P.J. Tucker did did not meet the definition or standard of a headbutt. So, in other words, it wasn't as blatant as, and as bad as Giannis's, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, another thing that, that I noticed is that it's pretty consistent with how they ruled uh, James Ennis and Marvin Williams. They got into a little bit of a tussle. Um, and I want to say in the first round, yeah, was it the first first round? Yeah, first round. And they both got ejected and they both got fined uh, 15000 each. So at least they're being consistent with how they're calling this. Um, but it is obvious that what Schroeder did was intentional, whether he says it wasn't or not. Yeah, and I think that was the one part that was sort of annoying was that both Billy Donovan and Schroeder were trying to, like, um, I guess, like, play um, like they didn't know what happened or it was not as blatant as almost everyone thought it was. Um, that was the only thing that sort of got to me afterwards. But ultimately, I think the NBA, you know, came down to the right decision like ultimately they needed to you know I, I think they needed to set an example but they didn't need to set an example by suspending people in this case even though Schroeder's you know sort of um, has a previous um, history but I can definitely say that you know Schroeder um, if this series goes longer or you know or especially for game six Schroeder and PJ are probably going to get some sort of verbal warning by whoever the officiating crew is um, pretty early on to, you know, 
keep their hands to themselves sort of right, right. <laughs> and heads to themselves. Yeah. And it's unfortunate for OKC because Shorter was carving us up uh, once again. You know, he um, – he, he finished out being their leading scorer, I want to say, even though he missed, like, almost the entire second half, I want to say, right? Yeah, so um, one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is the 19-2 to um, run, and he was there for that – for the entirety, and, you know, it pretty much ended shortly after that incident with him and Tucker. Um, and when it comes to Schroeder, uh, you know, ever since game one where he had his lowest in, or output, if I recall correctly, he has been completely destroying the Rockets. Um, I think whatever nerves or, you know, whatever was happening early on in the series, he's been able to, um, you know, shake him off and he has taken advantage of the spacing that has been um, sort of granted by the Rockets, at least, um, especially in games three and four. Um, I don't know, it, or what do you think about that? Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, he's been doing a lot more driving, which has been frustrating. He's just been carving the Rockets up by just going downhill, just attacking them, you know. Um, so, you know, that, 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 that was something that was frustrating. It felt like it should have been easier to stop. But, I mean, I noticed that he was blowing right past Covington and then really House in, in game five also. He was just blowing right past, you know, our, our uh, defenders. So um, that was a little bit frustrating. But one thing that I did like is the fact that, speaking of going to the lane, Eric Gordon is looking great. He's, he's driving to the basket, cutting down on his threes, which is amazing. Although he did have a few in the first, I want to say first quarter that were deep, like half court attempts, which we don't necessarily need need those. But I love the fact that he's he, he's lost some weight clearly because he's going right past defenders and getting to the paint with, with ease. Yeah, no, I agree, and I'm so happy if it's been a mixture of D'Antoni or the teammates or just Gordon himself realizing that his um, jumper and his um, his long range shooting has uh, definitely dissipated <laughs> quite a bit since um, he got injured um, early on in the seeding rounds. Um, I'm, I'm so happy that even though that has happened, um, he's been taking advantage of getting into the paint and getting into it quickly. Um, like you said, early on in the game, he was shooting those long, um, wild three. Oh, I wouldn't say so much wild, but just the threes that he doesn't have, like he doesn't have that lift anymore. I think right. a couple of people on Rockets Twitter, I can't remember exactly who, um, sorry for um, whoever said that. Um, <laughs> someone mentioned that, you know, he hasn't had the lift and I was watching it during the game and I can tell like when he took that last long three um, that sort of hit the um, front side of the rim. It, yeah. That was like something where usually he would be able to actually make that three and it looked like it was almost there, like, but he would have to step up a little bit closer. So I'm happy that they made that adjustment so that he had, he, for the most part is taking a couple of threes, but then when he realizes that um, he's not, hitting them in, or he's not hitting them for the day he's then going and driving in and that's probably you know that's probably going to help out significantly for game six um which we'll talk about later on as well as you know hopefully um further down the road yes yes i agree well you know what's been amazing is you know when when gordon drives he turns into michael jordan so so more drives is is more success better for the rockets well, that's going to do it for our first segment uh, of the podcast. Coming up, we'll discuss 
Uh, an interesting comment that James Harden made uh, post-game, and also uh, give a, a preview of uh, Game 6. Stay tuned. Support for this podcast comes from AT&T. 5G from AT&T is fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. So, should you switch? Well, historically, those were the reasons new tech was adopted. Neanderthals saw that fire heated things fast and made their caves secure from rampaging woolly mammoths. The ancient Romans saw that the aqueducts were a reliable and fast way to transport water, so they stopped carrying water jugs on their backs and adopted them nationwide. Oh, and uh, 1800s Victorians saw electricity light up rooms fast and be more reliable than candles blowing out, so they stopped bumping into walls and made it nationwide. Today is no different. Switching to AT&T 5G is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, historically speaking, it's smarter than candles, water pots, and hungry dinosaurs. AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan may not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. And we're back here at the Launchpad, presented by Clutch City Control Room, where we're about to talk about Russell Westbrook's impact on Game 5, as well as our thoughts of how Game 6 may go. So we probably buried the lead a little bit in regards to Russell Westbrook. Um, he was back after you know, a little bit more than two weeks of being away because of the quad injury. Um, and he had a great impact after the game. Um, one of the quotes that really stuck out to me post game was from James Harden, where he said that, and I'm quoting, he brought that excitement that we were missing and we just need him. Obviously he's our leader and we all know what he does for the game of basketball and for our team. So it was exciting to have him out there. Anthony, what do you think about that quote? So I think that's actually powerful. Um, that that goes to that actually goes long ways at dispelling what's been said about each of them. We've heard that you know hard people at least people think that uh, well, a lot of people think uh, Rockets fans know better, but a lot of people think that Harden is you know uh, selfish and he's unable to play with other teammates and that he's the reason why it didn't work out with Chris Paul and that somehow he hated Chris Paul secretly or something crazy to that effect. Um, you know, I like the fact that Harden is saying, hey, he's our leader, you know, because a lot of people might view Harden as the leader because he's obviously been here longer as his team. But I, I think it's kind of cool that he's, you know, saying, hey, Russ is our leader. He's the guy that, you know, uh, that will carry us. And what I like about that is that Harden is acknowledging that, you know, Russ being out there puts a lot less stress on Harden, uh, puts a lot less pressure on Harden just in general. I mean, even in, the, in this game, you know, Russ didn't necessarily play great as far as scoring goes. He went three for 13, seven points, but he still was a facilitator. I mean, he had seven assists. You know, that, that was a game high. Only, he only played 23 minutes, you know, zero turnovers, which is great. Seven assists, no turnovers is amazing. But, you know, I think it goes to show that, you know, on the Westbrook side, you know, there's this thought that he, you know, uh, hunts for triple doubles and that he's back teammate and that he, you know, uh, people don't play their best when they're when they're around him, which is not true. Um, which we won't have to even get into that. But but I, I think that that I think Harden saying that Russ is our leader goes a long way at dispelling myths that have been said and narratives that have been you know formed by media for both Harden and Westbrook. I agree. I think one of the things, and I think I may have even talked to you about this during the previous games is that, or the previous time we were both on was that I feel like 
the maturity that Harden has shown over the last season has been apparent. And also just with Westbrook, um, they both, like you said, have had detractors and also a lot of, um, I guess, rumors and innuendo about how they treat other players on their team. And this last season, especially the second half of the season, if you can sort of say, um, since January and then during the break and um, into the seeding games and now into the playoffs, they have shown so much growth and maturity when it comes to just how they are handling each game, wins and losses, and also how they are motivating everyone on the team. Um, I you know, each game they have just shown that they are willing to just play hard and be, you know, those sort of coaches. Um, and on Harden's side, that's something that hasn't really been seen as much before. He's definitely quiet and he still remains relatively quiet, but him utilizing his skill set to be able to like understand like, hey, there's someone who I see as an equal um, who can take over as a leader, that's a lot of maturity that is being shown. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's something that we haven't always seen in the past um, from Harden. And it could just be that he never really had someone that he felt like that about, you know, maybe he just hasn't had anyone to this point that he feels like, yeah, this guy is our leader. And that, you know, that there's a, not just a respect, but an admiration there, you know, for one another. Because that's one of the things, it, it hasn't really been discussed much, but that's one of the things that I think we're lacking for sure in the CP3 James Harden partnership. It wasn't a lack of respect as what, you know, Vincent Goodwill or whoever else reported. It was really more, I think, a lack of admiration um, for one another's games. And, you know, I think more so on Chris's end, because it seems like he, he wanted to be the, the alpha. He wanted to be like, hey, do what I say, do as I say. Whereas with Russ and Harden, you can tell it's a mutual, you know, understanding and an actual partnership to where he has no problem saying, hey, Russ is our leader, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think the one thing that the, you know, I have definitely been very adamant that the Vincent Goodwill story was not as factual as he likes to point out, especially right. more recently on, um, you know, in um, Twitter or on Twitter. But yeah. I think the one thing that was probably closer to the truth than we want to admit is that um, Chris Paul and James Harden had more of a co-worker relationship versus where, um, Westbrook and Harden, their peers, or at least, you know, they've known each other for, since they were kids. They yeah. understand how each of them are. And even though, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden had very dynamic and great chemistry, they didn't really see each other as peers and they weren't able to really speak to each other in an aspect where, you know, when someone gets mad, the other person doesn't take that as an offense. So, um, I think that's what, you know, mainly has allowed for the growth between Westbrook and Harden um, during, you know, the last, you know, last year, I guess it almost has been almost a complete year. year since, now, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> since um, they first um, were um, put together. And I, I guess speaking of which we have at least one more game when it comes to the series between the Thunder and the Rockets game six that is coming up on Monday. Um, 
I feel like there's probably a few goals when it comes to the Rockets and their play, especially since they want to. And I think everyone, um, or at least on the Houston side, wants to get the Thunder eliminated as quickly as possible, Um, you know, during game six um, with the um, Lakers, you know, being able to get yeah having a gentleman sweep versus the port or the trailblazers and it's currently sitting at home um what do you think about that (laughs) (laughs) well so yeah i mean i I agree um i expect the rockets to uh to steal games not steal but to close it out in game six um i don't believe i mean i know the thunder are gonna you know they're gonna come with their best shot but i think by now you know close out games you know, it seems like the team that's down always comes out in the beginning of the game, first half, you know, swinging, you know. Um, and I think the Thunder will also. I think we'll see a good first quarter for sure, probably a good first half from OKC. But I think down the stretch, the Rockets are going to be able to uh, to pull it out. Um, the Rockets, the Rockets can play the kind of defense they played in game five. Um, it won't even matter for OKC because the Rockets clamped down. I mean, they, the Thunder only scored 80 points you know, in game five. Now, obviously having, you know, not having Schroeder, who was their leading scorer, you know, that hurts. But as you pointed out, the Rockets were on a run even even with him out there. So so I think the same thing, you know, we're not going to see much different at this point uh the series. I think, you know, OKC is going to probably come out first half uh, with their best effort, best before. But I think the Rockets uh, in the second half, as long as they can maintain their shooting, uh, Russell Westbrook goes a long way, and apparently today the reports from D'Antoni is that he he wasn't he didn't have any kind of setbacks. Um, he, you know, he said he felt fine. He didn't have any you know any kind of you know reaggravation or nothing like that. Um, he didn't retweak retweak it in the game Saturday, so um, that's really good. I, I think we'll see a much better Russ in Game Six because you know he was rusty. I saw he hadn't played a game in 18 days, which is crazy. The time flew by that fast, but um, so I mean he was rusty. In uh, Game Five, I think Game Six will get we'll see the normal rust, uh, and I think the Rockets will will be able to close it out. Yeah, I agree as well. So I actually had um, I have a bracket on one of the NBA um, sites, okay. um, and I ha- <laughs> I I said that the Rockets would win in five, um, but I'm actually a little bit happy that they have a six game, and I think the biggest thing is that. Um, what you mentioned with um, Russell being rusty at this point Um, since he didn't play for you know more than two weeks closer to two and a half weeks in fact um, he I think he needs more time to get um, acclimated to the team and having that additional game and especially competitive game since the Thunder are going to do everything possible to fight and get um, a game seven, uh, having him there versus having to, you know, play or at least get um, the rust out a little bit more during a potential game one versus the Lakers will allow for the team to be able to, you know, sort of come right out of the gate, hopefully on Wednesday versus the Lakers versus, you know, a little bit later on this week. Yeah, so that that's something that I, I do worry a little bit about. The Lakers are, like you said, they're at home now. They're resting. Well, not at home. They're in Orlando, but <laughs> but 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 they don't have you know any games left in that in that Portland series. Um, but I guess it's not really that big of a deal. Like I said, the Rockets can close it out on Monday. Um, so really, the Lakers would have only had, I guess, I guess one additional day of rest because the Rockets obviously didn't didn't play Sunday. So. I guess they only would have had one additional day of rest, which would be Monday. 
Um, but either way it goes, I mean, that, that's a series that I'm looking forward to, a series that we've really kind of all been wanting. Um, I saw some – I've heard interesting comments. It's interesting how the Rockets are always underdogs, it seems like, <laughs> um, because I saw uh, Shaq. Uh, he said, you know, um, you know, it should be easy for the Lakers and they have a lot of size. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, why are we still talking about this size? Like, oh, this is bad. They don't have any size. By now, I feel like it should be obvious that the Rockets don't need to have, you know, seven foot centers to win. And especially, I mean, to me, that's such a, and I, I hate it because I, I like Shaq for the most part. He's really entertaining on that show, but I just think it's such a lack of awareness of what's been happening. And maybe he hasn't really watched the Rockets too much, but to say that, you know, oh, the Lakers have more size, they're going to beat the Rockets easily. It's like people don't realize that that has actually been the opposite of what's been happening. Teams that have legitimate bigs have actually struggled to keep up with Russ and struggle, especially now that Gordon is driving to the basket. Uh, I just just don't get it. No, I agree. And I I think the one thing that – Um, I think maybe people are trying to take um, from the previous Rockets games is that uh, I think the Rockets played the Lakers last right before the, you know, the extended hiatus from the league. Um, And that was right after Robert Covington was traded to the Rockets. And that was one of the worst games that the Rockets had. But the one thing that wasn't really brought to people's attention or what they didn't understand is that they didn't have time to acclimate Covington into that um, lineup. Um, The Rockets have since had what um, five months at this point. Um, I mean, of course there was, you know, that time frame where they were away from each other, but at least at the very minimum, they've had a full month to get acclimated since the um, bubble started as well as multiple games since then. So I, I would say that, you know, of course, this isn't a preview for that series since that series hasn't really been. Right, right, right. But just in general, um, and um, just in general, the Rockets have more than a shot with anyone. And when it comes to, you know, big, you know, tall teams, first of all, the Lakers aren't necessarily that tall besides AD and Dwight and um, who am I? McGee, yeah, McGee. yeah but if you look at this this series that's currently going on with the thunder um do people not forget that steven adams is currently in the game and yeah, playing exactly. and the rockets i completely ran him off the you know off the table right, of course right. that's not going to happen with with um anthony davis but um that doesn't mean that Dwight and McGee are going to have as much of an advantage against the rockets you know hopefully once we get to that series yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that that's just one thing that, you know, anyhow, it's something that I noticed watching the uh, inside the NBA um, Saturday night. But but what are your thoughts on if this series, this OKC series goes to seven games and let's just say that that would mean the OKC wins on Monday? Yeah, I like I um, like I mentioned, I don't think it's going to get to seven games, but if it does, I would be relatively nervous and I would say that only because of how they played game three um, or at least the end of game three um, how they didn't you know get that final tip in as well as the missed free free throw by house that allowed for that game to go to overtime and then got you know basically they got blown out in the overtime period that's the only thing I'm nervous about. I believe in Harden 
I think a bunch, but the one thing that people have a partial rightness about is that during the playoffs, he hasn't had too many times where he has gotten a, you know, this well-known um, yeah. shot to win a game or a series. Um, there's been, you know, one or two times, but other than that, it's been there's been a lot of just struggle when it comes to that. I think the one good thing is that Westbrook is there. And I feel like if Westbrook has the, you know, sort of, I feel like Westbrook has that dog that um, Harden doesn't have at times, especially towards the end of the game. And that's going to definitely help out. But that's why I hope that the Rockets just like um, blow out the thunder again (laughs) in game six so that it doesn't (laughs) matter. Um, What do you think? I mean, so, yeah, you know, it would be nice to close it out in game six. I mean, honestly, it would have been nice to have swept them. We really could have won game three and four were it not for late game meltdowns. Um, but, you know, the only the only real downside to it, in my opinion, is that the Lakers would just have more time to rest. Um, but, you know, one thing that I actually think that Harden has played really well in closeout games. So, you know, that that wouldn't really concern me. And I also think it would not be a bad thing if, if Russ has, you know, obviously that would mean that Russ played another game. Uh, I mean, if they, if, they, if they happen to have game seven, which hopefully they don't get to this, but uh, it will be on Wednesday. So, I mean, that would be like a full week after he, you know, was – because I, I, know, I know he was about to play game five, which would have been on Wednesday before mm-hmm. the, the walkout and, you know, before the NBA kind of figured out what the next move was. Um but so that would have been like a full week to week, seven days of him being back and him being able to test his quad and him being able to go full speed. So that would be a positive that heading into the Lakers series, you know, all the rust would have been knocked off because he would have had, you know, I guess what three, three games at that point, uh, five, six and seven to get it back going. But I'm not really worried about about it. I, like I said, I agree with you that it's going to end in six. But if it goes to seven, it wouldn't really be a big deal other than the fact that Lakers would have more time to rest. Yep, that's true. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, so aside from that, um, are, are you expecting us to see anything different? Is there anything that OKC can do at this point, game six, to counter or to change what's been happening so far? Any new strategy you think they can pull out? Or is it all kind of by now, you know, with all they've, they've already done the best they can do by now? I, I mean, there's probably a couple of things like they can do, especially with Schroeder um, being available the whole game. I feel like the one part that was sort of concerning was earlier in the second quarter when the um, OKC came back. Um, the question is, is if they have the steam to do so. Um, I don't think they have the um, shooting to do that. They're mostly, a, you know, a two-point focused team with some three-point capability um and i feel like a lot of their players um outside of i I think like mostly this you know starting five outside of Dort and a few others have some experience in the playoffs um the thing that the rockets may have to sort of watch out for is if the um thunder are going to do you know additional sort of quote-unquote dirty plays to sort of take someone out or get them mad enough so that they get you know tossed um but other than that I I think all the cards are on the table for both teams and we'll just have to see how they you know sort of counter that yeah so I mean I I agree that you know we've already seen five games and you know in a playoff series you're going to pull out your best you're not holding out you know any particular you know, weapon or game plan or strategy, you know, uh, one thing that I did think that was interesting is that 
you know, Danilo Gallinari is a 40%. This season, he shot 40.5% from three. And in game five, he went 0 for three. He didn't make any any of his three-pointers. Um, yeah, I think he only had a point. Yeah, one point. You know, I don't expect that to happen again game six. You know, he's, he's like I said, I think the OKC, they're going to come out for his half, and you're going to get their best shot, their best effort. You know, um, game five was ugly for them across the board. Gallinari didn't play. He had a hard time hitting shots. Uh, I know um, SGA, Gilles Alexander, he had a hard time. I think he went two for eight. Um, so he had a hard time, you know, getting the shots to fall. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, I think first half we're going to see the best they have to offer. I am surprised they have not really doubled Harden that much. But I know it's because they feel like Dort is, you know, with him alone, they don't really need to do that. But I'm, I'd be curious to see if we if we see that game six, considering that, like we said earlier, Harden has already figured out, you know, what, what to do against Dort. And or the Rockets have figured out how to get Dort off the floor, you know? Yeah, I, but I think the one reason why they haven't really been able to double is that the Rockets have been really running down the court. They've been t- using the pace to their advantage. Um, when the Rockets have sort of bogged down sort um, due to the Thunder, that's when they've had issues. And I think we may see that a little bit more in game six, the Thunder trying to slow down the pace so that they can actually use those doubles. Um, I know Billy Donovan may use some of his college, um, you know, <laughs> coaching experience, um, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, a lot of times they love to do those doubles and in, in fact, triples and try to get people to, you know, turn over the ball, right. um, which Harden, you know, the Rockets been pretty good with not doing that, but can be an issue, especially in close games. So yeah. that's probably the one thing I would sort of watch out for is if the Thunder sort of slow down the pace and try to make it a, you know, contentious game, that could be an issue unless the Rockets, you know, continue to um, keep things to their advantage. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, like we said, you know, both of us expect this series to end in six uh, and there's not really anything, you know, that the Thunder can do at this point that they haven't already tried or that they haven't, you know, already uh, or haven't already done, you know. So uh, hopefully, you know, this this uh, this series ends on Monday and it'll be on to the Lakers. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking on the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.